All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Science in I'm, between. Yeah, I'm Ollie. Yeah. And uh, I'm Scott. He's and, Scott. Uh, yeah, this is a show where we, and that's Ollie, and this is a show where we talk about stuff that we feel like talking about, mostly and, having to do with science teaching, but not always. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sometimes, you know. Sometimes we talk about and, that. And sometimes we wear some of our clothing. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes we dress like twinsies without talking Which, to Which, you know, doesn't really play well on the podcast world because they have no idea. No, what it's, we, it's just a shame. We should just re- release screenshots with the show notes of our Zoom right. calls every week so that hey, this people is what can we're wearing at home. <laughs> right. Bingo. It was funny because, you know, we talked about the retreat last last episode. Um that we intended to, you know, record, but that didn't happen. But the first day of the Mistakes retreat, were made. you and I show up in exactly the same outfit. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Different colors, but yeah. basically the same outfit. But yeah. with my red-green color blind, they looked alike. <laughs> they looked exactly the same. That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, they looked the same to me. Yeah, because your shirt was red and my shirt was green. So as yeah. far as you were concerned, they were both I was the like, same. like, look thing. at us. <laughs> Matchy match. <laughs> Oh, I, I forgot that. That is yeah. awesome. <laughs> Even more matchy than we thought. Yeah, they were. It looked more matchy to me than anybody else in the room. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, nice. So <sighs> you want to you want to set this up? You want to set up what we're talking about? Yeah. This, this yeah. Topic so this today? this is more of a. I I don't even know if it's a topic. It's more just a. <laughs> it's more like a. It's like a half baked notion that I just threw out there. Um, it's a. It's a. It's maybe not even a notion. It's just a thought. It's a thought. Uh, it's a thought. A thought that I had. Hey, we should maybe that should be the theme of the podcast. A thought that I had. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think you you mentioned my blog, and yeah. this I think relates back to like a blog post I I guess I posted like three weeks ago that uh pulled on a a, a I don't know a podcast I listened to like ninety nine percent invisible like yeah ah, years ago yeah and and I think that that quote might set this up you know okay so it was uh a quote from uh Elvar Alta yeah who's, who's an architect yeah. And he says, uh, he talks about ideas and inspirations. And uh, Alta says, perhaps they are, for instance, like some big salmon or trout. They're not fully grown. They're not born fully grown. They're not even born in the sea or water where they normally live. They're born hundreds of miles away from their home grounds where the rivers narrow to tiny streams, just as it takes time for a speck of fish pond to mature into a fully grown fish. So we need time for everything that develops and crystallizes in our world of ideas. Yeah. And I think that is like this, this is a speck of fish spawn. Scott. Right. That's what that's this right. Is. That's what this is. And it was a fish spawn that was spawned from a quote about fish spawn. So that's right. very, that's very meta. <laughs> that is so meta. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, what I, and, and this recurs to me frequently, and and it it particularly hits me, I think, in summer because one of the things we talked about uh, last week, and you specifically talked about this, um, was that summer is sort of the time of reading. Like it's a time when. You know, as academics in particular, we get a, a pause in our sort of day-to-day work of teaching and research and service, and we get a little um, time to read 
and trying. And sometimes that reading is novels and other stuff. And often as not, it's a time when we read academic work to try and get ourselves up, you know, back up to speed with the field and prepare us for the coming year and the research we want to do. So, um, so we're often reading books that require not just consumption, but, but, um, sort of a understanding, right? Sure. So what, what this has led me to is just a reminder to myself of how important for my own process. And then by extension, how important that is in general for teaching and learning to process things that you read. So, um, you know, this is why book clubs exist. This is why lots of, you know, sort of social organizations have come up around, um, books because we, you know, from a socio-cultural perspective on learning, we think of a book sort of like a stand-in for a person. This is somebody's ideas um, that you're getting. This is another person that you're you're um, interacting with, an interlocutor, um, but they can't respond to you. All they can do is you deliver. So this this analogy, I think, is good to to teaching, which is that, you know, books deliver information, but the delivery of the information isn't enough. And all I'll say is as I get older, as I read things, they tend to flow through my brain much more than they used to. I feel like uh, those little pieces of fish spawn would, would stop and get caught. And now they sort of just pass through my head. Um, so figuring out ways to, um, to, to, create a process for myself to make sense of these things that I'm reading, I think is really important for my own learning. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that idea of, you know, just being exposed to other people's ideas isn't enough. We have to do something with them. Yeah. I think that that's something that uh, I, I learned and we were talking about this before the show, like there was something you had me read way back when I was your doc student that was pretty seminal seminal in that my understanding of that is that we write to think yeah. and and that is a pretty critical process from process for me and i find that like one of the things i started i don't know i started a blog in like 2009 or 2010 or something like that mm. and initially it was just a way to get ideas out there and then i realized that i was really writing for me i wasn't writing for anybody else mm-hmm. you know just like we we've kind of done with the show is that we yeah. you know we haven't we have people who listen, but we also are you and I getting together and working through ideas together. And if that's if that's ultimately just the out- outcome of you and I working through ideas of something we've read or something that we're working on or, you know, or even processing something we've done like that, you know, you and I did a you know professional development thing. And then we're both like processing our experiences of that. That in itself has value because we're we're doing that meaning making that sense making together. And and because it's like the the unexamined life right you know it's right. like for us to like just sit there and and just to live it and not really think about it is i think it is not learning from it right so if mm-hmm. i read something it's just like kind of going through me and i'm right you know because i i'm a blogger because i'm a podcaster i'm constantly like interacting with stuff and i'm like always writing down like okay you need to unpack this more you need to unpack this more mm. N- not just to like be able to say hey i posted a blog this week or hey we did a podcast this week right. but because it's giving me some like it's saying okay you're going to be doing this here's something you need to think about like it's this is something i need to work through right yep yeah no i mean i and i think it connects to all the ways that we think about um, 
about teaching and learning, right? And yeah. and it goes back to this that it isn't all in your head. It can't just be in your head. Um, and even what's in your head is a conversation, right? That goes back to Vygotsky is that language is, is social first sure. and, and then you internalize it over time. And by internalizing it, that becomes thinking. So your thinking is really just a conversation that's happening in your head. Um, but, but this idea that that, that isn't enough either, right? You really need thinking is important and doing it is it's not like that's unproductive having those conversations with yourself because it does help work through them, work through ideas, but doing that in some externalized form, getting it out either verbally or, or physically writing it or drawing it or whatever is so critical to the process. And, and it's part of, it's the foundation of how we think about science teaching, right? Like the first thing we do in science teaching is we give kids a phenomenon we want them to think about, and we ask them to externalize those ideas, like write them down, draw a picture, tell us what you think, and get that out. And that, as you say, this idea of writing to think, like that's what we're really doing at that point. We're not trying to get them to write the correct answer. We're, get the, we're trying to get them to think through their ideas in an externalized way. And it's not just so that we as the teacher can see them. It's also because that helps them understand their own ideas and clarify their own thinking. And it's hard work. That's the, yeah, it is really hard work. Like there are times where, you know, I, not to like just talk about blogging, but it's the thing I do. Like I've been doing it for, I don't know, what's that? 14 years. I've been posting a a, a blog post every Tuesday for 14 years. And Mm -hmm. usually they're between 500 and a thousand words. And so this is something I, sat down and and made the commitment that I was going to do this. And I will tell you, there are times when 500 words is really easy. And then mm-hmm. other times when 500 words is really hard. Yeah. Pulling you know, teeth. That, where, where I'd be working on something for days before I feel like it's, you know, ready to hit like publish. Yeah. And because I'm like really, you know, figuring it like working through like how to, you know, summarize or conclude, or even just trying to select the next word right like the Mm -hmm. best way to describe a you know this this thing whatever this thing is Mm -hmm. and that's like that's the part i think that is the the most important part of this is the the selection of the right words because it's easy just to go yeah that makes sense to me you know because it's in your head but then when you have to describe that to somebody else or like write write it so that somebody else can understand it like and understand what you're thinking and how you're thinking, that's a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. And I I think you've hit on a really, I think, important point there, which is, <clears throat> you know, this is, this is why the, the transmission model is such a bad model. Um, and, and one of the reasons that it's a bad model is that people in those contexts leave thinking they understand. Right. And this is a really bad thing, right? You go to the you go to some lecture, you go watch a TED talk. Let's talk about TED talks. Um and you know, you're like, oh my God, that was amazing. This this person 18 had, minutes, yes. <laughs> 18 minutes had these cool ideas. Okay. And then, you know, five minutes later you're like, well, what was it about? And you're like, well, I, I don't know. There was a um the guy was a he did um he did like a re he did research uh and it was right. you know it's like but you leave there with this notion in your head like I have a crystal clear understanding of what this person is saying like I'm nodding along I'm like oh that was awesome and then you realize later that 
that's not the way the w- world works. Like you have not understood it. What you've done is sort of just listen to and recognize it in the way that you watch a movie and and have the have a vicarious experience through the characters in that movie. And at the end, it gives you an emotional response. But if you want to understand it, you got to process it. You got to talk to somebody about it. You got to write something down about it and ideally have somebody read that and talk to you about it. But that sense-making piece is just so critical to the learning. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of uh, incorporating writing into my classroom, like as an active learning mm, strategy nice. where I have the students do like a five-minute writing at the beginning, like a five-minute essay you know, at the beginning of a class or at the end of a class, like just for them to do some sort of processing, either of the stuff that I asked them to read for to the class or, hey, we've just had this, you know, three-hour class of all this stuff, you know, I'll give them some sort of framing question or something like what was the most important part of today's class or whatever, just to try to get them to do something with it to process that, you know. And I think those yeah. are those are really great opportunities to get them to do that and, to, and for you to also assess, okay, where are they? Like what did they get from this? Did they get something like – you know, cause what they're going to get, it's like, you know, everybody watches the Ted talk and right. you are watching one thing and I watched something else. I'm yeah. like, Oh yeah. They, they, they were talking about a dog and you're like, I don't remember the dog. What are you talking yeah. about? Was there a dog? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about last week when we were talking about the, the McRaney book and just yeah. how difficult it is, even when people have the same experience, they don't have the same experience. Same experience right. So just that notion of like, oh, well, we both were at that TED Talk, so we know what what it was about. And then you and I start having a conversation about it. It's like, wait a minute. We took away very different things from that. And that's amazing and important and productive to have that conversation. You know, again, as long as that conversation can be productive and sense-making focused and not me trying to convert you to my idea of what the TED Talk was about. So once we get into that, now we have a problem. Yeah, and and that's one of the reasons why I don't know whether you do like uh, book groups. Do you do that? Like, I, I don't. I, yeah, I try to a lot. I try to a lot, and sometimes it's the challenge. And you know, I know that some of my my book group friends listen to the show. Is that sometimes I pick books that maybe they don't want to read, or like, <laughs> yeah. are they just doing a sure? Let's read yeah. that. And so something that I find like, oh, this is awesome. They were like, yeah, that was a slog for me, and um. So like right now I'm uh I'm with uh you know with I don't know maybe four of us five of us are reading a book called Mind Over Monsters by Sarah Rocco Cavanaugh. That's like the book of the moment right now it seems. Well, uh, it's it's about you know students with mental health issues and how that plays out in our classrooms and what we should be doing about that. And so I I I kind of gathered all all the folks you know, mm-hmm. um who are uh, all really, really accomplished and excellent teachers, right? These are people who are, are people I respect who help, like help me think about my teaching, but I wanted to get their perspective on the book too, because I, I know that I'm reading it and something that's going to resonate with me isn't necessarily going to be the same thing that resonates with them. And so that sense-making, that collaborative sense-making is to, to me the most it's the part that helps me grow, especially since you know many of the other people, all of the other people are women. And so they experience a classroom very differently than I do, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of the, the gender 
you know, norms and expectations sometimes um, is more challenging for women in a, an academic setting because, you know, one of the, t- the things that the book talks about, I don't want to like go down this rabbit hole, but the, early on, Sarah Rose Kavanaugh establishes this thing called compassionate challenge or challenging yeah. compassion or, you know, that sort of Some, yeah. so that that this is the, you know, the duality of of helping students grow, but also feel supported mm-hmm. because we want to challenge them so that they expand. Cause if they just do the same things they always do, right. They're not going to grow. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has this phrase called life is exposure therapy, mm-hmm. which I nice. was like, that's yeah. really cool. Um, but that, but that it's only exposure ther- therapy. If we I- expose them to more challenging things. Yeah. Right. That's the growth. Yeah. yeah well, but those, we have to do oh, it in sorry. compassionate ways. Right. We have to do it. In right. compass- but that lands differently in a group of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Than it would with me, because I just go, you know, I, yeah, I need to be more compassionate. And then these the, the other folks that are in this book group are like, I'm constantly because, you know, of my role as a woman, constantly being asked to be compassionate mm-hmm. because, you know, and that's yeah. the and that to me, I think, is the value of having really smart people gather together and have an experience and then discuss that experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's incredibly important. And and that hits on yet another theme, which is that this sense making is better if there's a if there is a diversity of perspectives in the sense right. process, right? Because that then you get different points of view on the same thing and you can make sense of which one is the best or the strongest, or you can just make sense of your own thinking in regard to these other perspectives that you didn't consider because they don't come up for you because they're, it's not linked to your experience. So going, you know, going back to that, um, you know, last week with McRaney thing, like having a conversation about the socks and Crocs or about the dress or whatever. I mean, those are sort of trivial examples, but, um, but the different perspectives can bring tremendous value to that conversation because now you have to figure out like, well, wait a minute, how is it that you're thinking about it that way? Cause I didn't even consider that as a possibility. So what's the reasoning? And if you can do that, in a curious way, you know, why do you think that way? And how did you come to that conclusion as opposed to, well, my idea is right. Now I got to figure out how to convince everybody in the room that I'm right. Well, then you have a really interesting and powerful learning opportunity. Yeah. So I, I, I try to, I don't know, a couple of times, I will say when, when I was done, when I was leading our, um, you know, teaching and learning center on campus, which I did mm-hmm. that for, you know, a number of years. Um, I, I trying to, I tried to organize book groups like this campus learning communities, you know, I don't know, maybe three or four times a semester, have different ones going on with different people's, you know, all around teaching and learning things um, to try to get people to think about their practice and to like, think about like with a, a, a other smart people. And I, I, I find books as being, you know, seminal ways of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the only yeah. way, but it's certainly a powerful way. If you can get like find the right book or right books and get people to read and discuss them, then you know. And I've done like I don't know, hundred like not hundreds, but a ton, dozens you know? of these, Do- dozens of them. Um, not always being the leader of them, but you know, finding really good facilitators or finding really good groups of people to get together and and, and read. I wanted to. This was a, an idea that just uh, never came to fruition. Was uh, 
my, I was working with associate provost at the time where we wanted to get people to write about their teaching, mm. you know, and we called it, uh, we created a blog at the time and it was called half baked, which was, you know, this mm -hmm. idea that it was their half baked ideas, people working through things. And it, it was, it was hard to get off the ground because it was not everybody is so willing to put their stuff out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And like wrestle with that in a public forum, right. you know, yeah. Um, it takes some um, trust and confidence. Yeah. Which goes, you know, which goes back to another thing that like going through that sense-making process with other people requires that you have relationships with them yeah. that are trusting because otherwise, you know, that can go quickly awry. Um, you know, going back to that notion of like, oh, well, I'm now convincing you that I'm right as opposed to having a conversation. Um, so I think, you know, those book clubs, like the occasions when I do those book clubs are almost always around academic books. So sort of like what you're describing, they're either a small group of colleagues who say, oh, I really want to read, you know, Barad's book about about um, a gentle realism. That's um, the name of the book. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not that... the name of the book, but that's the idea. So sure. Yeah, Karen Barad's work. So that was the last one I can specifically remember reading with a group of people where the purpose of that conversation was to make sense of this book that's super complicated and hard to understand, even if you got three or four smart people talking about it. But if you're doing but, it on your own, it's, right. you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, this all makes perfect sense to me. And then you're like, but the other part about that is if you don't establish a, a safe relational space. Right. Where people can trust each other and say, you know what? I have no idea what they're saying here. That is like, like, uh, yeah. that's a hard thing to say, especially within a group of academics, especially with people who are like, you know, you, you're, I don't know. We're always trying to impress people. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not, but like, yeah. we, I, we don't, I, we don't maybe want to be the smartest person in the room, but we don't want to be the dumbest one. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and sometimes like, but those, types of um being confident enough to say hey i didn't get this yeah or yeah, well, i'm working through this that's hard yeah and 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 it's it's that idea of social death right is that right. especially in high stakes environments and especially in academic environments because it's amazing how often academic environments are focused on on you know, maybe not, as you say, being the smartest person in the room, but not being the dumbest and being right or having the idea that everybody likes and takes up, you know, like all of that is wound into your social identity in in those contexts. And and it is a little bit of social death when like you put an idea on the table and nobody even responds to it. It's just like, I mean, we talk about this all the time with um, BIPOC faculty and students that that's right. one of the microaggressions that they see in those contexts is so they put an idea on the table and it's not even acknowledged that there's an idea that's been presented. And then in the worst case scenario, somebody, you know, yeah. 10 minutes later, who's some old white guy like us says the same thing. And everyone's like, that's, Ooh, that's yeah. what we've been waiting for is that brilliant idea. So, um, so yeah, those, those trusting environments are so important and they, they have to be built up before you can do productive sense-making with people. Yeah. Because it, then it becomes, and I think that's a, the, the challenge with some of those like book groups I've tried to lead is that there have been ones where like people were just not 
you know, for whatever reason, not in a safe space or not one where they felt they can talk about things or wrestle through ideas. And I think that's why the, this blog idea that, you know, me and the associate provost at the time, who's now at Penn State with you, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, we had this idea of this blog and it just fell flat on his face because it was people just didn't feel like it was a, a safe space for them or a place where they could they trusted people were going to be able to, you know, respond to that in 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 ways that were supportive. Yeah. You know? Well, and and doing that work in public is risk taking, right? Whether yeah. that's small public, like a few people, or the blog or the podcast or the, you know, like these things now that you and I produce every week um, are out there. <laughs> They're right? out there, <laughs> and and there's no getting them back. I mean, this is the this is the problem of. You know, the people who um, post something on the Internet, you know, 10 years ago, and now they're running for public office and and they find this thing and pull it out and say, oh, look at what you said. Aren't you a terrible person? And, you know, I mean, that it, it the, in that sense, the Internet has made it much more difficult to live in a trusting environment because you never know what thing that you've said in the past that that at the time may have not been the smartest thing you ever said, but wasn't terrible but now contextually has become this whole different thing because of the way things have changed um it's it that makes it really hard it makes it can be um it can feel very constraining in in how you think about um you know in, in public intellectual work public ideas work yeah and there's just so like there are you know, 14 years of blog posts out there. Yeah. Some are really good and some of them are not. Yeah. <laughs> and really? there are like, what is this? Uh, 145 episodes of, you know, yeah. science in between. And some of them, we go through some really great ideas and you and I have some great things to share. And sometimes they don't, yep. but all of them are ones in which we're wrestling through ideas you know, either through written form or, you know, audio form by th- having this discussion. Um, and we're wrestling through ideas and trying to learn from them. And I think that's the, uh, to me, it is one, one side of that coin. It's like the awesome thing about it, right? Because right. we're lear- learning, but it's also the the kind of humbling and scary part about it is that we're, we're doing this so publicly. <laughs> right. Well, and the weird, the particularly weird thing about that, as you were talking, I was thinking about this is like you and I, if, if you and I are just sitting in a room, you know, having a beer and chatting, um, that's a very trusting environment. Like both of us are happy and feel comfortable saying whatever stupid stuff is in our head. And the other person doesn't judge us for that. Right. Um, but we're having that conversation with in a fishbowl now. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's different. Like I, yeah. I don't know who's listening to this. And so by default, I can't trust them because I don't know who they are. Um, and so that's a weird sort of environment, right? Or it's like, we're having this very sort of trusting conversation on one level, but it's happening inside this larger context. Um, so yeah, it goes back to that idea of like, okay, there's thinking, there's writing to think, and then there's writing to communicate. 
Um, but like what you're doing with your blog is sort of a blend of those two things. Right. Like you're you're thinking, but then you process it more and you're trying to clean it up and make it more uh, polished because you do recognize that it's like you wouldn't just put your first draft up in the blog no. because that that may help you think through the idea, but that's not how you want to present the idea to others. Yeah, I I will say there, and I think I mentioned this at one point on the on the show that uh, I had some friends that were visiting like Texas. Did I tell you the story? Yes. Th- yeah. Whereas like they were someplace in, in, in Texas. They had met a friend of a friend yeah. and they're like, oh, you're from Pennsylvania. Do you know this this guy? <laughs> no. And it was like, yeah, that's our, our neighbor. And it, oh, I read this blog all the time. That's really wild. And they, they call me and I'm like, I have no idea like how this person found my blog right. or we reads it weekly. I mean, I know, look at the numbers. I know that people subscribe right. to it. They're they, sure. they're on the RSS. So they get the, you know, it's sent to their they emails. Get the weekly, yeah, they get update. the weekly thing. I know that, you know, I guess I could look at that list and see who those folks are. Um, I don't, I don't like need to know like that. Um, yeah. But it, it is like, like scary you know, because it, it'll make you really paranoid if you, because it's, it'll make it less trusting for me. I, not, not that they, those folks are not trustworthy. It's just that it, it just changes the perspective for me from working through ideas to, you know, playing to an audience. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you become weirdly self-conscious of it then. Right. And it's like, oh, now I have to, I have to do this not to think through these ideas, but to, communicate that i'm not a dummy and right. and that is a different um that's a different thing it is a different thing and that's i think one of the things that's uh, valuable about this is that i still just look at it like hey i'm getting together with scott this week and what are we going to talk yeah. about oh we're gonna talk yeah. about this yeah. and the fact that we put it out there and that anyone listens to it you know is just you know yeah. but i but i and i'd like to come back to the you know our classroom and our teaching learning you know work is that if we can create those spaces in our classrooms where kids feel like it, they're just conversations, mm-hmm. just conversations where they're learning through things, learn working through things and learning and trying to improve their ideas, then, you know, it changes what that is and what that means for kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It changes the nature of the community that they're in. Right. It doesn't right. just change the talk. It actually changes the fundamental nature of what a classroom is about. It's no longer about me being right or wrong. It's about us working through ideas together as a as a group to try to understand things. And that that shift is massive, right? Like again, sure. we always talk about how the shifts we talk about seem superficially not like a big deal, but really are completely uh, almost diametrically opposed to the current structures that we have in schools. Yeah. And that's just another way that they are, right? Is that you know, we we end up with a community in our classrooms where hopefully kids see this as a sense-making place for all of us, as opposed to a competition for who has the right answer the most often and the fastest and therefore is the best. Yeah. But I think that we can't dismiss how important it is to create that safe space for students. Right. Absolutely. Well, well, right. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, it is absolutely the case that, we believe that that doesn't happen by accident, that it has to happen in a planful way. And that's what a good teacher is a good, you know, and again, I keep trying to think about teaching as learning environment design because teaching centers the me 
the teacher so much. But learning environment design is creating that space, creating a place where people feel good about making sense of things that they don't understand because they know they're not going to be judged for not understanding. Yeah. It's like someone should write a book on like design principles for learning environments. It does feel like that. <laughs> well, speaking of that, why don't you tell me about a joy that you have as opposed uh, to a to an ongoing sadness? <laughs> yes. A book proposal that went nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a friggin' awesome idea. It is. You know? it's, it's a good book proposal. Somebody for, for like needs it. the seven people who would read that book. Yeah. Right. Oh, I already knew how to do that. Yeah, I know all that stuff. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. So I have a joy. I uh, a really good joy. Oh. Uh, I like it was. Uh, I went to see the new Spider Verse movie. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. And okay, so the the first movie that came and like into the Spider Verse, I think that's what it was called. Yeah, you know? into the Spider Verse. Yeah, and uh the first one was, I don't know, released, I don't know, a bunch of years ago. Um, and it kind of like was this quiet little movie because it was animated and not a whole lot of people. I just remember going to see it in the theaters and thinking I was blown away. I was yeah. blown away by it. And it was like this sort of like, you know, quiet release. And then it just exploded. And then it just mm -hmm. got like became this thing. And the soundtrack was awesome. And the different forms of animation. So the idea is that, you know, if you're not a comic book nerd and you're not familiar with this movie it's an animated movie with you know multiple spider-mans across spider people i don't want to mm. just you know because they're spider people spider thing because it's not just yeah. people it's spider yeah, that's true spider thing spider pig yeah spider pig spider cat spider yeah. you know dinosaurs spider <laughs> there's so many different types of spiders out there and but they all have this connection to this you know, th this, the storyline of becoming a spider person, spider thing, where they get, you know, bitten by a spider and they be get these powers. And then, then they go through that, you know, story that I hope most people uh, know. It's kind of like, you know, that how Batman becomes Batman or how Superman right. becomes Superman. Right. Or, um, so imagine like a multiverse of, you know, spider people things um so that first movie was awesome and i was like this that movie's perfection mm -hmm. and i went into this one going okay it's this it's the continuation of that story um it was amazing it mm -hmm. was i i don't i don't know if it's as good as the first one or if it's better it's mm -hmm. hard for me because i'm still like processing through it it was awesome and i'm gonna mm -hmm. see it again and i'm gonna own it and <laughs> i'm gonna be like I, I do – I'm not going to give too much away. The only thing I will say this is – and this is – my wife didn't know this, so I'm going to say this to others. It is part one of a two-part movie. Uh -huh. So part one ends in this movie. Part two begins – here it's going to be released in you know six, eight months, sometime next year. So you need to go into that knowing it's, it's not the complete story. Mm. That's good. That's a good uh, heads up. Yes. Uh, outside of that, I'm not giving you anything. Yeah. Like, Don't. I'll just say it is the soundtrack is as good as the first one. I don't know if they're, they'll probably be one of those earworms. Like, Sunflower was the one in the first mm. one. Like, that was the, you know, every time I hear that song, I think about the first movie. Um, but this has some of those similar earworms that is going to like, they'll, it is awesome. Mm. 
go see yeah. it. So many really good voices. You know, Oscar Isaac is in there. Adam Sa- uh, Andy Samberg is in it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Jason Schwartzman. There's so many great voices. Yeah. 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 Cool. Check it out. Right. It's awesome. All right. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but it's on my list to see in the theater before it disappears. So hopefully I can get to it soon. Um, so mine is a different one. Um, so I, with a group of friends have been um, becoming, I want to word this carefully because uh, I don't want to overstate, but um, I've always wanted to learn how to play tennis. Um, I played a little bit of tennis when I was a lot younger, um, but it seems like one of those, like, Hey, it's a good adult sport to play that you can play for a long time. And so I've been trying to get better at tennis um, and I'm still pretty terrible, but, um, but I enjoy playing. Um, and my joy isn't the tennis. My joy is, uh, a tennis player who's, um, been really sort of emergent in the last maybe two years, three years at the most, Carlos Alcaraz. And if you have not seen this man play tennis, I strongly recommend that you look him up on the internet and just watch. Even if you don't know what tennis is, you will be amazed by what this guy is able to do. But he is just an extraordinary athlete and um, just a a remarkable tennis player. And seeing somebody who's that good at something um, play the thing that they're really good at is always amazing to me. I mean, I like it regardless of whether it's sport. I just like watching people who are really good at what they do, do what they do. You know, there's lots of... Lots of versions of this, you know, all those food cooking shows and, you know, home remodeling shows and all that stuff. But this is just um, the athleticism is is just so um, pure and he's so joyful when he does it. Like he's just he just he's fun to watch. He seems like a good human being. Um, but watching him play tennis is <clears throat> It's just really amazing. So I strongly recommend if you have not seen this guy play tennis, look up Carlos Alcaraz. He just had just had a heartbreaking uh, match this past weekend where he cramped up um, and ended up losing. Um, but he was that still, the, uh, the French Open was that? Was that... He, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he lost to Djokovic, who went on to lose in the finals. But anyway, the point is. Um, look him up. You can find all sorts of compilation YouTube videos. They're just like the 22 most amazing shots made by Carlos Alcaraz. We'll throw something in that. The, we'll throw something yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. If someone's really motivated and check it out. But that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. My, my brother's a big tennis guy. He's, okay. he's been playing for decades and yeah. taking lessons and stuff. So, and, and typically this, you know, during summer, this is like when the French open, the U S yep. open and Wimbledon yep. and all those things ha- are happening. So it's like, you know, it's like two weeks of the French open. Then it goes yep. to, you know, the, the, and then Wimbledon comes in early July. And then it's like all summer is t- tennis for him. Yeah. It's kind of cool to see. like, I'm a baseball person. He doesn't really watch much baseball, but he watches a lot of tennis. Yeah. You know? And I don't, in fairness, I don't watch that much tennis, but I would watch Carlos Alcaraz play uh, any day of the week. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So 145 ish, I think. 145. Uh, Yeah. 145. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. In the the can. In the can. And we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. (laughs) 